This is C-SPAN's First Ladies in Their Own Words podcast, listening to the voices of eight modern first spouses. In this episode, you'll hear from the 44th First Lady, Michelle Obama. Making history as the United States' first African-American First Lady, Michelle Robinson was born in 1964. The Chicago native was the younger of two children. Following her brother Craig, she studied at Princeton University, graduating in 1985 with a degree in sociology and a minor in African-American studies. She received a law degree from Harvard in 1988. The future First Lady was hired as a law associate at the Chicago office of Sidley in Austin. While working there, she met her future husband, Barack Obama. The two married in 1992 and had two daughters, Malia in 1998. Sasha was born in 2001. With Barack Obama's inauguration on January 20th, 2009, Michelle Obama became First Lady, serving in that role for President Obama's two terms. The couple left office on January 20th, 2017. In her best-selling memoir, Becoming, Michelle Obama described four primary initiatives as First Lady, focusing on children and military families. Let's move, reach higher, let girls learn, and joining forces. We begin our program with Michelle Obama campaigning for Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton at Wake Forest University in North Carolina in October 2016. And I am so excited to be introducing our amazing First Lady, Michelle Obama. Clinton is my friend. She has been a friend to me and Barack and Malia and Sasha and Bill and Chelsea have been embracing and supportive from the very day my husband took the oath of office. Now you may have noticed that I have been doing some campaigning for Hillary and I know that there are some folks out there who have commented that It's been unprecedented for a sitting first lady to be so actively engaged in a presidential campaign. And and that may be true, (laughs) but what's also true is that this is truly an unprecedented election. And that's why I'm out here. I'm, I'm out here first and foremost because we have never had a more qualified and prepared candidate for president than our friend Hillary Clinton. Never before in our lifetime. I say this everywhere I go. I admire and respect Hillary. She has been a lawyer, a law professor, first lady of Arkansas, first lady of the United States, a U.S. senator, secretary of state. She has That was Michelle Obama, a popular sitting first lady campaigning in 2016 for a former first lady turned presidential candidate. 
a lawyer, mother of two young daughters, and the first African-American First Lady. You'll hear in her own voice how she experienced her eight years in the White House, featuring footage from C-SPAN's video library. First, you'll hear from Michelle Obama in 2009, a C-SPAN interview, in her first year in the White House. She talks about how she sees the role of First Lady and how she expects to grow in the job. I think every First Lady brings their unique perspective to, to this job. Um, if you didn't, you couldn't live through it. Uh, I think to the extent that this feels natural to me at any level, and I would never have thought that living in the White House and being First Lady would feel natural, it's because I try to make it me. Uh, I try to bring a little bit of Michelle Obama into this, but at the same time respecting and, and valuing the tradition that is uh, America's. But I think it's all an evolutionary process. You grow into this role, and my sense is that you, you never get comfortable if you're always pushing for change and growth not just in yourself, but in the issues that you care about. Um, you're never done. Uh, so there's never a point in time where you feel like, there, I am now here, and I can do this the same way all the time. It's always changing. It changes given the, the, the state of the issues of the country, and you never know what those are going to be uh, from one day to the next. Uh, so you have to be flexible and fluid uh, and, and open to evolve. You're listening to Michelle Obama in her own words. Just a month after moving into the White House, she hosted Children in the East Room, an event marking African-American History Month. Well, hello. Welcome to the White House. How are you guys doing? That's good. It's good to see you all. I've heard you all have been just quiet as mice. Have you been behaving in here? Is it exciting? Come on, it's exciting. Isn't this a beautiful house? Yes. Well, we are so, so very proud and happy to have you here. See, we were all very much kids like you guys. Um, we just figured out that one day that our fate was in our own hands. We made decisions to listen to our parents and to our teachers and to work very, very hard for everything in life. And then we worked even harder anytime anybody doubted us. As President and First Lady, Barack and I are just the caretakers of this house. We're just borrowing it for a little bit. Uh, but while we live here, we're your neighbors, okay? Um, and we want you to feel welcome here at the White House, uh, which really is, as the Admiral said, it's the people's house. It belongs to all of us. So just remember that, okay? Um, and as the people's house, we believe the White House should be a place for learning and for sharing new and different ideas, sharing new forms of art and culture and history and different perspectives. Uh, we want you to visit and we want you to take advantage of these opportunities and maybe see something for yourselves that maybe you never thought you could do or be. So I'm happy to welcome you here for our little Black History Month celebration. I'm glad you guys are here. So many milestones in Black history have touched this very house. Just to name a few, did you know that African-American slaves helped to build this house? You knew that? 
Did you know that right upstairs in a bedroom called the Lincoln Bedroom, President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation that marked an important step forward in ending slavery? Did you know that happened right here? You knew that? Well, did you know that in 1878, Rutherford B. Hayes was uh, president at the time, uh, and Marie Selka became the first soprano, the first African-American artist to perform right here in the, the White House. That was in 1878. Did you know that? Because I didn't know that. And in the 1960s, did you know that Dr. Martin Luther King and other civil rights leaders met here with Presidents Kennedy and Johnson to debate and discuss the end of segregation? Did you know that? Yes. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, yeah, well, you're yawning. Wake up. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and of course, who lives here now? President Obama. And he's making history every single day. Why? Why? He is the. That's correct. Would you like to stand? You want to say that one more time? Very good. Very good. You're listening to First Ladies in Their Own Words, and we'll be right back. African American history and the challenges and accomplishments of black Americans were themes the First Lady returned to often. In 2013, she hosted the cast and crew of the movie 42 about Jackie Robinson, who broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball. We watched this movie over the weekend. It was just us because our girls were away, and they are definitely going to watch this movie. We think that everybody in this country needs to watch this movie. And I can say uh, with all sincerity that it was truly powerful for us. I don't know about you, but we walked away from that just visibly, physically moved um, by the experience of the movie, of the story. Uh, And it wasn't simply the, the wonderful performances, because the performances were brilliant, Brilliant. I mean, you know, I'm no movie critic, but you all are pretty good. (laughs) Pretty good. Um, And it wasn't the the wonderful screenwriting or the directing. It was the raw emotion that it just makes you feel after the experience. I mean, watching anyone go through what Jackie and Rachel Robinson did, you know, the outright discrimination they encountered at every turn, every turn from the fans in the stadium Uh, to the airport receptionist, uh, even from some of his own teammates. Um, And you're left just asking yourselves, how on earth did they live through that? You know, how did they do it? How did they endure the taunts and the the bigotry uh, for, for all of that time? And while so many in this country still face clear challenges, they still exist today. Um, I was struck by how far removed that way of life seems today. I mean, there's work to be done, but things have changed. Uh, Major League Baseball is fully integrated. You can't imagine the Baseball League not being integrated. Uh, There are no more whites-only signs posted anywhere in this country. Although it still happens, it is far less acceptable for someone to yell out a racial slur while you're walking down the street still happens, but not tolerated. That kind of prejudice is simply just not something that can happen in the light of day today. And then on the other hand, 
for us to be able to sit in the same room as Rachel Robinson. We, do you all understand? We are here with Rachel Robinson. The woman who lived through that life, uh, whose memories and perspectives will forever be shaped by those experiences. Her presence here today makes us realize just how connected we are to that part of our history. It is very real and very tangible. Uh, in the end, I can't help but marvel at just how far we've come over the course of this woman's life, uh, but it also reminds us how far we have to go, how much more work we have to do. Jackie and Rachel Robinson's story reminds us how much, how much hard work it takes to move a country forward. Uh, it reminds us how much struggle is required to make real progress and change. So as you reflect on this story, uh, not just today, but I hope you keep thinking about it for the rest of your life, I want you to think about how much strength it took uh, day in and day out for Rachel and Jackie Robinson and for thousands of other people just like them all across this country to keep pressing ahead, uh, even though some folks wouldn't even treat them like they were human beings. They just kept pressing ahead. Uh, it would have been easy for them to get mad, right? Because I know I was mad just watching the movie. It would have been easy for them to get mad or to give up. But instead, they, made hate, they met hatred with decency. I want you all to keep that in mind. They met hatred with decency. And more importantly, they gave their absolute very best every single day. Do you hear what? They, they gave their best every single day from the time they were young people, just like all of you. They worked hard to prepare themselves for greatness so that when the opportunity came their way, they were ready for that greatness. You know, this would have been a totally different story had they not been prepared, had they not trained themselves, had they not educated themselves. Yeah, Jackie Robinson certainly was a tremendous athlete, uh, but he was so much more than that. You know, he bravely served in our armed forces. Uh, he attended college at UCLA. Uh, he competed at, as hard as he could at everything he did so that his gifts wouldn't go to waste. And Rachel Robinson was in every way his equal, ladies, in every way his equal. She made her education a priority. She worked hard in school. She eventually became a nurse. Uh, so Jackie and Rachel Robinson weren't destined for greatness. They prepared themselves for greatness, which meant that they could make a difference outside of baseball as well. And that is the only thing that is important for you to understand. You can be great in your profession. You can earn a lot of money. You can be famous. But the question is, what are you doing for others? After he retired, Jackie Robinson became a leader in the civil rights movement, working with Dr. King, the NAACP. Uh, he helped to start a bank to help other minorities start their own small businesses and to own their own homes. Uh, and after his death, Mrs. Robinson carried on that legacy by starting the Jackie Robinson Foundation, which has provided college scholarships and training and career opportunities for more than 1,400 underserved students. In fact, I know that we have a few Jackie Robinson scholars here today who are studying at Howard and Georgetown and Yale and Brown and even my alma mater, Princeton. 
Michelle Obama traveled to Alabama in 2015 to address the graduating class of Tuskegee University, a historically black college. She reflected on how she had grown in her role as First Lady. She also acknowledged criticism directed her at herself and President Obama and spoke about dealing with racism. And while the history of this campus isn't perfect, the defining story of Tuskegee is the story of rising hopes and fortunes for all African Americans. And now, graduates, it's your turn to take up that cause. And let me tell you, you should feel so proud of making it to this day. And I hope that you're excited to get started on that next chapter. But I also imagine that you might think about all that history, all those heroes who came before you, and you might also feel a little pressure, you know? Pressure to live up to the legacy of those who came before you. Pressure to meet the expectations of others. And believe me, I understand that kind of pressure. <laughs> I've experienced a little bit of it myself. You see, graduates, I didn't start out as the fully firm, formed first lady who stands before you today. No, no, I had my share of bumps along the way. Back when my husband first started campaigning for president, folks had all sorts of questions of me. What kind of first lady would I be? What kinds of issues would I take on? Would I be more like Laura Bush or Hillary Clinton or Nancy Reagan? And the truth is, those same questions would have been posed to any candidate spouse. That's just the way the process works. But as potentially the first African-American first lady, I was also the focus of another set of questions and speculations, conversations sometimes rooted in the fears and misperceptions of others. Was I too loud or too angry or too emasculating? Or was I too soft, too much of a mom, not enough of a career woman? Then there was the first time I was on a magazine cover. It was a cartoon drawing of me with a huge afro and a machine gun. Now, yeah, it was satire. But if I'm really being honest, that knocked me back a bit. It made me wonder, well, just how are people seeing me? Or you might remember the onstage celebratory fist bump between me and my husband after a primary win that was referred to as a terrorist fist jab. And over the years, folks have used plenty of interesting words to describe me. One said I exhibited a little bit of uppityism. Another noted that I was one of my husband's cronies of color. Cable news charmingly referred to me as Obama's baby mama. And of course, Barack has endured his fair share of insults and slights. Even today, there are still folks questioning his citizenship. And all of this used to really get to me. Back in those days, I had a lot of sleepless nights worrying about what people thought of me, wondering if I might be hurting my husband's chances of winning his election, fearing how my girls would feel if they found out what some people were saying about their mom. But eventually, I realized 
that if I wanted to keep my sanity and not let others define me, there was only one thing I could do, and that was to have faith in God's plan for me. I had to ignore all of the noise and be true to myself, and the rest would work itself out. So throughout this journey, I have learned to block everything out and focus on my truth. I had to answer some basic questions for myself. Who am I? <laughs> no, really, who am I? What do I care about? And the answers to those questions have resulted in the woman who stands before you today. A woman who is first and foremost a mom. Look, I love our daughters more than anything in the world, more than life itself. And while that may not be the first thing that some folks want to hear from an Ivy League-educated lawyer, it is truly who I am. So for me, being mom-in-chief is and always will be job number one. Next, I've always felt a deep sense of obligation to make the biggest impact possible with this incredible platform. So I took on issues that were personal to me. Issues like helping families raise healthier kids, honoring the incredible military families that I've met out on the campaign trail, inspiring our young people to value their education and finish college. Now, some folks criticized my choices for not being bold enough, but these were my choices, my issues and I decided to tackle them in a way that felt most authentic to me, in a way that was both substantive and strategic, but also fun and hopefully inspiring. So I immersed myself in the policy details. I worked with Congress on legislation, gave speeches to CEOs, military generals, Hollywood executives, but I also worked to ensure that my efforts would resonate with kids and families, and that meant doing things in a creative and unconventional way. So yeah, I planted a garden and hula hooped on the White House lawn with kids. I did some mom dancing on TV. I celebrated military kids with Kermit the Frog. I asked folks across the country to wear their alma mater's t-shirts for college signing day. And at the end of the day, by staying true to the me I've always known, I found that this journey has been incredibly freeing. Because no matter what happened, I had the peace of mind of knowing that all of the chatter, the name-calling, the doubting, all of it was just noise. It did not define me. It didn't change who I was. And most importantly, it couldn't hold me back. As First Lady, she took up the cause of supporting men and women in the military and their families. She made a plea on behalf of veterans in particular before a 2010 meeting of the Clinton Global Initiative in New York. She reminds me with her work to be a voice for America's military families and veterans, using her platform as First Lady to make sure they get support and respect and the appreciation that they deserve. So it is with that that I would like to introduce you to my First Lady, America's First Lady, Michelle Obama.
as you endeavor to do more, to serve more communities, lift up more families, save more lives, how can you find new ways to tap the skills and talents of more people? How can you create and train new leaders, not just here in America, but around the world? How can you, as President Clinton put it earlier this week, get people involved in our common endeavors? So in pondering these questions, I'm here today to ask you to consider an issue that is near and dear to my heart as First Lady, and one that I believe is vitally important for just about everything you're working to accomplish. And that is the challenges faced by America's veterans and military families and all they have to offer, particularly as they transition to civilian life. Now, at first glance, I know this issue may seem too uniquely American in scope for such a global audience here at CGI. But right now, the human potential of America's veterans and military families is both vast and woefully underutilized. And that's not just an issue for those individuals or for this country. It also significantly impacts what you and so many others are trying to achieve, not just here in America, but around the world. Now, as First Lady, I've had the privilege of meeting America's men and women in uniform. I've met them on bases and hospitals and communities all across this country. And I always come away from these visits, not just with a sense of pride and gratitude, but with a sense of awe. Believe me, I'm awed. I'm awed by their courage and their sacrifice. I'm awed by their commitment to this country and the standard of excellence they uphold. And while most folks share my respect and admiration for their service, a lot of folks have no idea what that service actually entails. Many still don't know the full power of their human potential. But just consider for a moment the kind of work that they do. Members of our military master state-of-the-art technologies, some of the most advanced information and medical and communication systems in the world. They run the world's most complex operations, distributing supplies to thousands of locations, moving tons of equipment halfway across the globe, they oversee hundreds of their colleagues recruiting the top talent and inspiring folks from diverse backgrounds to succeed as a team. And many of them are barely old enough to vote, yet they shoulder more responsibility than many CEOs undertaking missions where there's no margin for error, where the bottom line is often a matter of life or death. Now, these are highly valuable highly transferable, highly marketable skills. Skills that I know many businesses, including those represented here today, are desperate to find. Yet the fact is that right now, more than 150,000 recent veterans are still struggling to find jobs. So the fact is that America's veterans and military spouses have years of experience and training doing precisely the kind of work that all of you are doing every day across the globe? Are you building roads or schools or shelters? They've done that. Are you establishing health clinics in remote parts of the world? They've done that too. Are you trying to recruit and manage teams of volunteers? Are you 
working to get clean water into a village? Are you trying to move people to safety in the wake of a natural disaster? You see, that's all in a day's work for these folks. You're listening to First Ladies in Their Own Words, and we'll be right back. Michelle Obama focused a spotlight on childhood obesity and the health of the nation's children. She used the White House as a platform to advance the issue. You'll hear from her next at the 2010 White House Easter Egg Roll, where the South Lawn was converted into a sprawling playground. Hey, everybody. Is this not the most perfect day for the Easter Egg Roll? Let's say thank you to Mother Nature. Yeah. You guys, we are so excited to have you. Welcome to the 2010 Easter Egg Roll. The theme for this year's event is Ready, Set, What? Go! Go! And as you guys know, this year I launched a nationwide initiative to try to end the epidemic of childhood obesity. It's called Let's Move. And today we have transformed the South Lawn into a playground. You know, our hope today is that in addition to having fun and doing some of the traditional activities like the egg roll and the Easter egg hunt, that you can learn about beginning to live a more healthy life. Uh, We've got wonderful food stands over in the back. We've got some of the areas in the nation's best chefs. You can learn to cook. There's a farmer's market. You can see the garden. But we also have some great activities. We've got several uh, athletic centers. We've got football. We've got basketball. Yeah, we've got tennis. We've got yoga. And we have some of the most phenomenal athletes here. We've got our Washington Redskins here. We have, we have Olympians, Apollo Ono. We've got Billie Jean King. In the center, we're going to have some dancing, some hula hooping. We've got DJ Tony from the Ellen DeGeneres show who's going to do some stuff. And then, if that's not enough, you can go over to the music stage and just have some fun with Justin Bieber. You guys know Justin Bieber? You've heard of Justin Bieber? Well, he's here. And we have Sarah Bareilles, one of my favorites, the cast of Glee. Yay! And thank you, Amber, for that wonderful rendition of the national anthem. And then we've got readers. There's always reading is important. We've got J.K. Rowling, one of our favorite authors here. Reese Witherspoon. We've got tons of people who are here just to have fun with you guys today. So the only thing you need to do is get ready, set, and do what? The First Lady also oversaw the planting of a White House garden to promote healthy eating as part of her Let's Move campaign. She worked hand-in-hand with local school children to plant and harvest the garden. This garden can not only feed my family, but it's going to feed all the staff at the White House. We're going to use these vegetables to help feed you guys. We're going to serve it at some state dinners. So with this little plot of land, and this is a big plot, you don't even have to plant this much, we can produce enough fruits and vegetables to feed us for years and years to come for just a couple of hundred dollars. Isn't that amazing? So we're looking to to you guys to help us make it happen. So we're going to plant the seedlings today. And then in a few months, uh, hopefully right around the time you get out of school, uh, you can come and help us harvest the 
the fruits and vegetables and come into the White House with all our chefs and start doing a little cooking. How's that sound? Look how good this looks. As we close our look at Michelle Obama, we first revisit the 2016 campaign that dominated the last months of her eight years in the White House. You'll hear her speech before the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia, which nominated Hillary Clinton for president. Michelle Obama's signature line from that campaign, when they go low, we go high. convention to talk with you about why I thought my husband should be president. <laughs> Remember how I told you about his character and conviction, his decency and his grace, the traits that we've seen every day that he served our country in the White House. <laughs> about our daughters, how they are the heart of our hearts, the center of our world, and during our time in the White House, we've had the joy of watching them grow from bubbly little girls into poised young women, a journey that started soon after we arrived in Washington, when they set off for their first day at their new school. I will never forget that winter morning as I watched our girls, just seven and 10 years old, pile into those black SUVs with all those big men with guns. <laughs> and I saw their little faces pressed up against the window. And the only thing I could think was, what have we done? <laughs> See, because at that moment, I realized that our time in the White House would form the foundation for who they would become. And how well we managed this experience could truly make or break them. That is what Barack and I think about every day as we try to guide and protect our girls through the challenges of this unusual life in the spotlight. How we urge them to ignore those who question their father's citizenship or faith. How we insist that the hateful language they hear from public figures on TV does not represent the true spirit of this country. <laughs> How we explain that when someone is cruel or acts like a bully, you don't stoop to their level. No, our motto is, when they go low, we go high. <laughs> with, with every word we utter, with every action we take, we know our kids are watching us. We, as parents, are their most important role models. 
And let me tell you, Barack and I take that same approach to our jobs as President and First Lady because we know that our words and actions matter, not just to our girls, but to children across this country. Kids, kids who tell us, I saw you on TV, I wrote a report on you for school. <laughs> kids like the little black boy who looked up at my husband, his eyes wide with hope, and he wondered, is my hair like yours? And make no mistake about it, this November when we go to the polls, that is what we're deciding. Not Democrat or Republican, not left or right. No, in this election and every election is about who will have the power to shape our children for the next four or eight years of their lives. In her last official remarks as First Lady, Michelle Obama spoke in the White House East Room in early January 2017. The event was to honor school counselors, and Mrs. Obama talked about the administration's efforts to improve education. As she concluded her speech, the First Lady gave one last pep talk and expressed a personal hope. And as I end my time in the White House, I can think of no better message to send to our young people in my last official remarks as First Lady. So for all the young people in this room and those who are watching, know that this country belongs to you, to all of you, from every background and walk of life. If you or your parents are immigrants, know that you are part of a proud American tradition, the infusion of new cultures, talents and ideas, generation after generation, that has made us the greatest country on earth. If your family doesn't have much money, I want you to remember that in this country, plenty of folks, including me and my husband, we started out with very little, but with a lot of hard work and a good education, anything is possible even becoming president. <laughs> That's what the American dream is all about. And if you are a person of faith, know that religious diversity is a great American tradition too. In fact, that's why people first came to this country, to worship freely. And whether you are Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Hindu, Sikh, these religions are teaching our young people about justice and compassion and honesty. So I want our young people to continue to learn and practice those values with pride. You see, our, our glorious diversity our diversities of faiths and colors and creeds, that is not a threat to who we are. It makes us who we are. So to the, to the young people here and the young people out there, do not ever let anyone make you feel like you don't matter or like you don't have a place in our American story, because you do, and you have a right to be exactly who you are. <laughs> but I also want to be very clear. This right isn't just handed to you. 
No, this right has to be earned every single day. You cannot take your freedoms for granted. <laughs> now, just like generations who've come before you, you have to do your part to preserve and protect those freedoms. And that starts right now, when you're young. Right now, you need to be preparing yourself to add your voice to our national conversation. You need to prepare yourself to be informed and engaged as a citizen, to serve and to lead, to stand up for our proud American values and to honor them in your daily lives. And that means getting the best education possible so you can think critically, so you can express yourself clearly, so you can get a good job and support yourself and your family, so you can be a positive force in your communities. And when you encounter obstacles, because I guarantee you, you will, and many of you already have, when you are struggling and you start thinking about giving up, I want you to remember something that my husband and I have talked about since we first started this journey nearly a decade ago. Something that has carried us through every moment in this White House and every moment of our lives. And that is the power of hope. The belief that something better is always possible if you're willing to work for it and fight for it. It is our fundamental belief in the power of hope that has allowed us to rise above the voices of doubt and division, of anger and fear that we have faced in our own lives and in the life of this country. Our hope that if we work hard enough and believe in ourselves, then we can be whatever we dream, regardless of the limitations that others may place on us. Being your first lady has been the greatest honor of my life, and I hope I've made you proud. Next week, Melania Trump, a former model from Slovenia. Mrs. Trump is only the second first lady who was not born in the United States and the first to become a naturalized U.S. citizen.